Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. This is episode 60, Monday, July 17th. In the studio, Jason Cooper, research analyst. Welcome. Hey, Danny. Dr. Brian Jacobson, chief economist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Hey, thanks for having me. We're looking at the week ahead as part of this strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And when I'm looking at the calendar for the upcoming week, I always pay attention to the economic data. And I think maybe for me, the most interesting one could be on Tuesday with retail sales and industrial production. There's been this ongoing dynamic in the economy where manufacturing has been pretty much in a recession and that might be captured in the industrial production numbers. And then services, though, has been quite strong. And that might be captured in the retail sales number. So even though retail sales, if you think about going to the store, where's the services there? It also includes a good chunk of services, especially with dining out. So for me, I think for the week ahead, that's going to be pretty interesting. But it also, we're in the midst of earnings season. So as a research analyst, Jason, anything you're looking at for the week ahead here? Busy calendar. Yeah, we've got, I think, within our portfolios, about 10 names reporting. So we'll be dialing into the conference calls and seeing what the managers have to say. We're already... I would say gleaning a ton from the uh, calls we've been on last week. And to your point, Brian, the consumer is what we have to watch going forward. Yeah, so in terms of the ones that you've already listened to, any nuggets, anything really interesting that you've picked up on? Sure. Well, I, I guess we can discuss strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats in the context of what we're hearing. And from a strength perspective, United Health was out last week. They had a nice guidance raise, which which was impressive given the fact that this quarter was almost a kitchen sink. You know, they had a real step up in um, predominantly senior citizens that had deferred elective procedures that were coming mm-hmm. back, saying now's the time to actually get into the hospital and maybe get that hip replacement. What I believe we're seeing is an opportunity then in healthcare, mm-hmm. because these healthcare names, it doesn't really matter if it's a pharmaceutical, med dev, or a research and diagnostics company. Broadly, the sector has been effectively flat since 2021. There have been really difficult comps and a lot of uncertainty just based on the based on what happened with COVID, where a lot of companies were over-earning, then under-earning, some over-earning now. I think that sets us up maybe for a nice, as we get past these year-over-year comps, a return to normal growth. So just looking there, it seems like an area with pretty significant opportunity from both evaluation and fundamental perspective. You mentioned about like the distortions from COVID, especially how it affected healthcare. Uh, as an economist, I look at it as far as how it's affected the macro economy. Some of the distortions, so kind of pivoting more towards the, the SWAT part and the econ side, you know, the inflation numbers about how distorted those were during COVID and then coming out of it because of the big shift from spending on services to goods and now back to services. I would say that one of the strengths that we're seeing in the economy is the decline in inflation. We obviously have to see how persistent this decline is, right? Uh, I think that some people are thinking, yeah, it's coming down, but are we plateauing at 3% 3% or are we continuing the journey down to 2? I mean, I personally think we'll get to 2 eventually. <laughs> Who knows when? You know, when the Fed is restricting monetary growth relative to nominal growth, when the Fed is restricting the growth of the money supply relative to the nominal growth of the economy, 
it's going to eventually lead to lower inflation. It's just how long does that play out and how many bumps are the way to that part. And so in terms of the strength for the economy, what we've seen recently, headline CPI down, what are some of the bigger picture market strengths that you've seen lately? I would say that there's been more of a broad-based recovery. So we talked on past podcasts about the bifurcation that you've seen in the NASDAQ and the non-Magnificent Seven. And we described it as alligator jaws. And we said, you know, if you if you look now and, and think about allocating more towards the S&P 500 equal weighted index, where you have a lot of the companies that haven't participated, and we get those alligator jaws closing, we don't know if the bottom jaw is going to go up or the top jaw is going to go down. But looking at it on a risk-adjusted basis, it's probably the prudent call and over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that index rally about 5% playing catch up. The number of stocks over the 200-day moving average increased to 67%. The number over the 50-day moving average increased to 78%. The advanced decline line for the New York Stock Exchange, it's back to the high where it was in um, March of 2022. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing the average stocks start to participate. And that's something that we wanted to see with respect to, is this a healthy expansion mm -hmm. within the market? Yeah, that's a good observation about the breadth because a lot of people have been worried about the concentration. Is it too top heavy? And if it's too top heavy, the idea is that sometimes it might topple <laughs> if you stack boxes too high. Mm -hmm. And if it's top heavy, right, you want to always put the heavy boxes on the bottom. In terms of some of the weaknesses, speaking of kind of broad base, one of the things that I noticed in the data from the Federal Reserve, their beige book, which is the collection of anecdotes from the Federal Reserve districts, it had indicated that five districts are basically treading water. You have two experiencing declines and five of them having only slight increases. And in Fed speak, especially with the beige book, they oftentimes characterize growth as being modest, moderate, some combination of those. And when they say slight, that sort of, I took notice of that because that's code for weakness, right? And especially with the two districts experiencing declines, the thing that I found fascinating was that say that manufacturing continues to be kind of in a contractionary zone, services is expanding, but it seems like consumers are pulling back. And one of the things that really caught my eye was that they say consumers are pulling back everywhere except for leisure and hospitality, at least for now. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see how long, long that can play out. But one of the weaknesses I would highlight is that, you know, the f staff economists at the Fed are predicting a recession starting in the, in the fourth quarter of this year. The beige book is indicating that two districts are already kind of in a recession is, you know, how much will this actually spread? How about weaknesses on the market front? Anything you're seeing? Especially within the consumer, you mentioned that's something that we need to watch and you're paying attention to closely. And ConAgra Brands, their CEO was out with respect to their earnings call. And he highlighted that in the past, you might have had a consumer that was willing to trade down to kind of protect their ability to, to consume. And now their ability to consume is so impaired that they're actually taking out a number of items when they're shopping from, from their grocery basket. Mm -hmm. That's something that we're paying very close attention to, especially on the consumer staple side. We've been highlighting the difference between sales growth and sales growth driven by volume. And if you're seeing consumers consume less, you know, maybe they can cut back on Slim Jims or snack packs. But at some point, if cutting back becomes more broad based, 
it is going to be harmful for the economy. You know, one of the things that I've been hearing as well and seeing in the data is people cutting back more on buying in bulk. You know, now I typically like to buy in bulk because, you know, the per unit cost is lower. If you think about going to Sam's Club or Costco or whatever, oftentimes it can be cheaper. Sometimes it's actually more expensive. I actually found that especially when shopping for cereal, you should price it out per ounce. Sometimes those big family boxes per ounce is more expensive than the smaller ones. They're probably figuring that, you know, desperate parents are out there and they're grabbing the big one and they're more brand loyal and probably don't want to make too many trips to the shop. Could you imagine how long it takes him to go through a Costco? (laughs) (laughs) An an economist taking forever with a calculator. I am there with my calculator. And one thing I notice is that they make it very difficult to comparison shop while you're shopping. Have you checked whether or not you can actually get cell phone coverage in some of those stores? Uh, they make it hard to log on to you know, Target or Amazon or do a web search to do some comparison shopping. So you kind of have to have your list about, all right, what do I want to buy? What is it priced at these different places? And then when you're going up and down the aisles at Costco or Sam's Club, uh, you know, where is it actually cheapest to get it? Maybe that's just me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. I was going to say that. I'm shopping wrong. <laughs> it, it, it becomes much more like a hunting expedition than anything. (laughs) You know, people not buying in bulk, it suggests that more and more people are living paycheck to paycheck because they can't necessarily afford to make that larger expenditure to buy in bulk. So if they're doing it on a, um, a smaller item purchases, another sign of cutting back, nothing dramatic, right? And I think that's one of the things as far as with when I'm thinking about opportunities, It could be in the field of everybody believes a recession is coming. Everybody believes it has been coming. It's been, you know, if you do like a Google trend search, people searching for the word recession, uh, it has begun to taper off. It spiked up as the Fed was hiking rates. And people, I think, were expecting we'd see the effects of those rates hikes eventually. When will that actually begin to show up in the economic data? And maybe, you know, some of the opportunity here is if we get a slowdown in growth, what that can mean for yields. When I think about yields, two components to it. There's one about kind of tied to productivity growth, which has been horrible, uh, but then one tied to inflation. Now, if growth it stays slow, inflation is coming down. Maybe it's an opportunity to take advantage of if when you see yields move up to kind of lock in those higher long-term rates. So if the Fed is going to stay on hold for, you know, let's say the next year, cash yields will eventually come down. But those longer-term yields, maybe not. Historically, those longer-term yields have fallen or at least been relatively more stable compared to those cash yields. So maybe it's an opportunity to add some of that duration to portfolios. Um, How about you, Jason? What do you think in terms of opportunities, maybe more on the market or portfolio front? I think the biggest opportunity was that call we had earlier in the show on healthcare. With respect to duration, one thing to highlight is that the real yield component of these longer dated treasuries is exceptionally high. So when it comes to locking in yields, think about it from a real perspective because inflation expectations on a long-term basis are still relatively well anchored. Just looking at the five-year, five-year forward, it's still 2.3. So the market has effectively bought that the Fed is going to be successful in tapering inflation over the long term. Another area that seems to be kind of interesting, you know, you look at a weakness and how that kind of presents an opportunity. The dollar last week broke down. It was down 2%, which doesn't sound like a lot when you compare it to something like a a high-flying tech stock, which might gyrate 5% in a given day. 
But for a major currency and the global reserve currency, that's a pretty massive movement. Mm -hmm. And from a chart perspective, it took out, you know, the past couple of lows, which means that there isn't very much support. And if you look at the chart, there really isn't support until like the low 90s. And it's at 99.5 right now. Mm. So when you think about an opportunity, if the dollar's weak, what's priced in dollars? Well, you have foreign currencies. Mm -hmm. So increasing that exposure to international stocks, whether it be developed or emerging, and then also select commodities that maybe uh, the supply is going to be impaired going forward just due to the lack of capital investment that we've seen over the last couple cycles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it kind of tied to commodities, a big driver of commodity prices from like 2000 to even the present really, but not so much over the last few years has been China as far as with their growth story. And their growth numbers have been a little disappointing. Just last week, or it was over the weekend, we got their retail sales, industrial production, GDP, GDP numbers. Those are all weaker than expected. So they are having a tough time getting some traction. And so, yeah, being selective in that commodity space. And and eventually, uh, yeah, I mean, my view is they're probably going to inject some stimulus at some point. So they will try to turn that ship around. It's just a matter of being patient with it. In terms of some of the threats, getting the timing of that is right, which is why we always talk about you know positioning and not trying to time the markets. But one of the bigger threats is as we're going through earnings season here, I look out as to what is the sell side. So some of the big investment banks, what are they saying about third quarter, fourth quarter and beyond for earnings? And it just seems like they're calling for the earnings recession to effectively be over and to experience a rather big bounce. I think for the S&P 500 on a quarter on quarter basis, the expectation is to have a 5% jump in earnings per share in the third quarter relative to the second quarter. And if you do get some further slowing of the overall economy, I don't know, maybe that seems a a bit optimistic. We've had about 6% of the S&P 500 report an 80% beat but analysts are starting to downgrade their EPS for the year. Mm-hmm. So forward guidance can't be great if the beats are accompanied by lower guidance on a go-forward basis. So I think you're on to something there, Brian. Mm-hmm. So it is really about not just what have you done for me lately as far as did they beat or not, but then that guidance is what might they do for you in the future. Yeah, the, well, the market's a discounting mechanism. So what you look at in the rear view mirror has already occurred. You want to look out the front and see what's coming at you. Yep, great advice. From a threats perspective also, just listening to the J.P. Morgan's call, They highlighted that capital requirements might increase this year. And, you know, we've already seen banks effectively restricting the flow of capital via loans into the economy, which is a headwind not just to earnings, but to the overall economic growth. And they highlighted that if they continue to see the need to have higher capital ratios, all that's going to do is effectively lead them to reduce loan growth into Mm -hmm. some speculative areas of the economy. Mm -hmm. And the risk that they highlighted is that someone's going to fill that demand. It's going to be a a non-bank financial company. And traditionally, when money flows that way, it tends to introduce financial instability. So that's kind of a longer term risk. Yeah. Isn't it like, was it in Jurassic Park where they said, you know, nature finds a way? Same thing applies to markets. Markets find a way. If there is a need for that financing capitalists, markets will find a way to do it. And it might be in one of those areas that isn't quite as heavily regulated uh, (laughs) and maybe not quite as safe as what it otherwise would be. Headline strength this week? I mean, for me on the economic side, the headline strength was the inflation numbers as far as being better than expected. Headline weakness. Dollar in a downtrend. 
Headline opportunity? Oh, I don't know. Maybe with yields, trying to lock in some of those longer term yields, adding some duration to our portfolios. And the headline threat? Introducing financial instability through poor regulations. It's a mouthful. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. It's episode 60. Jason Cooper, research analyst. Thank you. Thanks. Dr. Brian Jacobson, chief economist, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of this podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be considered as tax, legal, or investment advice, or recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.